Kansas City Real Talk, brought to you by KCRER. I'm Bobby Howe, and you are? I am Jeff Carson, still. Still As Jeff always. Carson. You guys, we've lost Alex Gehring, and now we just, when we need somebody, we, we have Jeff here with us, and thank you for being I'm here I'm happy to us. be here. This is always fun. You know, I, I get so nervous, and then when I'm here with you, it's just so easy. So, you know, but I'm so nervous leading up to it. Yeah. You know, like, I'm, I'm going to freeze. I'm not going to have anything to talk about. Like, that's ever happened to me. So many of our guests say that, like, we get so nervous, but then we get there and it's just a conversation. I'm like, right. that's literally the point. It's supposed right. to be. But, you know, I'm a, a speaker. I go to speak at uh, real estate conferences every time before I go up to present. A, I'm nervous. And B, I think I'm going to run out of things to say. And we're just going to all be sitting there staring at each other. And every single time I have more than enough things to say. And I'm rushing to get it through and to right. do all of that. You see the hook come across the stage. And yeah. I'm the same way, you know, and they would give me scripts when I was president of the state and different things. Mm -hmm. And I would go up there and I, I don't like scripts because I don't like to read. And I right. it gives you the, it, it's kind of a crutch. And so I, I really, I like bullet points, you know, so I don't forget things. And uh, so, but whenever I would do it, I would, I would totally go off script and do my own thing. And then over on the side was the administrative assistant for the state. And she's feverishly looking through her notebook back and forth of these papers. And then I would walk up the stage at the end and she's like, just tell me why, why, why that I spend weeks preparing all of this for you. I go, you know, and there, it's all great. And I got everything in there, right? Maybe not in the order that you had it, but, but I got it all right. And I said, and I think everybody maybe enjoyed it a little more because I wasn't saying, you know, good evening and welcome to the, you know, whatever, blah, 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 blah. I mean, I was watching some things at an earlier meeting on uh, for something else. And I was watching, I go, okay, put that down. Put that down. Look up. Look at me. Look at the people. So. Well, you know, it's funny you say that because uh, me and a couple of friends, uh, past uh, podcast guest, Maura Neal is one of the people that played uh -huh. this this game with me, is that when we're at NAR, either mid-year or the annual convention, when they have the events up on the main stage, there's always the big, huge confidence monitor in the back of the right. room that has their script way up there. Yeah. Now, there's yeah. certain presidents that follow their script exactly. And mm -hmm. you can kind of watch the script scroll up the screen. Yep. And then there's other presidents that like you just go do your own thing. And you can see the screen shifting up and down, <laughs> yeah. and up and down. And it's our favorite game to watch because you know staff <laughs> right. is out there about ready to smack someone. Just follow the words on the screen. I know. And I and I and I actually watch that. My chair is like tilted so that I can see both. I can see what's coming and I can see what they've said <laughs> to see where they're at. So so you play the game too. I do. I, I do. Know. There's, I think it's those of us that are nerds and um, that we just really get into that, the data and the information and just seeing how does a human respond in this moment right. whenever that's what's happening. So, you know, and the surprising thing for me was, you know, growing up in a high school, thing, I, I mean, I, I wouldn't say that I was shy, but I, in terms of speaking in public or reading a report in front of class, you know, of the class. I was dreadfully afraid of it. I mean, when I would finally, I, I would, I would sit there and just kind of look, you know, try to look, uh, whatever she wouldn't call on me. And then we'd get, she'd get, she'd get through calling everybody. Did I get everybody? Did everybody get a chance to read? And I'm just thinking, okay, you know, I'm not going to say a word, Jeff, we didn't hear from me. And of course I'd get up there and the papers rattling. And then the people that know me now are just like, I can't even imagine that. And like I said, I get so nervous like you do. And then once I get up there and that microphone's in my hand, 
I feel like I'm fine. I, yeah. I look out and I'm fine. I mean, I, and plus I think when I look out, it's just, I know you all. So again, it's just a conversation with 350 people. Now you do it in front of big groups, you know, at the NAR level and things like that. But, but it's again, it's just a group. And, and to me on some level, I would way rather get up on stage in front of hundreds, thousands of people. Maybe I know them. Maybe I don't because I've learned over the years that it actually doesn't really matter. Right. At first, I like it more in front of strangers, but now I'm more comfortable if I know a few people in the audience. It's fine. But I would rather do that than a small cocktail party of 40 people because then I have to actually have small talk with these people. That's and, true. And I, because I'm an extroverted introvert, like I can go do the big stuff, but then I need to get to myself. And right. I always just thought that I was a big, well, I know I'm a big weirdo, but I thought that I still was additionally a big weirdo. And recently we were at a smaller conference up in Chicago for the brand that we're affiliated with. And um, one of the people that was there, and I don't think she'll mind me sharing the story, was Elizabeth Mendenhall. And mm-hmm. Elizabeth Mendenhall, former NAR president, always up in front of lo- thousands and thousands exactly. of people. And so comfortable and- doing it. Oh, so comfortable. So comfortable in front of everybody. Mm-hmm. Perfect speaker. She followed her scripts perfectly, you know. Um, but we were in a small room of just 40 people, and she walked in and she immediately came to the back and she stood next to me and she goes, God, I hate being in small groups. And I was like, Oh, one never thought someone like Elizabeth is doesn't even like the small groups. She's fine being in front of thousands and thousands, but we put it the small little cocktail groups, and we're like, Whoa. But I think maybe there's just more pressure to keep the conversation going. And, you know, we're realtors. We put strangers in our cars and we have to keep the conversation going. You've got re- people, reload people you've never met them before. And you've you got to take them out for the whole day. And you just have to. And, you know, I come home from those days and I'm exhausted. Yes. You know, I mean, I might spend six hours with them. You know, I'll pick them up at nine. I'm done mm-hmm. at 3.30. I get home at 4.30 and I'm just exhausted. And my, and my wife's like, what's the matter? I go, Oh my gosh, I've been with those people all day long. We started at nine. We got done at right at three. She goes, that's six hours. She says, Jeff, you know, there are people that work eight hours every single day, five days a week. And she goes, and you're complaining. I go, you don't understand about being on. There's a, there's a switch inside. And I'm just, I have no small talk. You know, I'll come home from state meetings or national meetings. And I'll just say, you know, I got to tell you. I am charm free right now. Mm-hmm. I have used it all up during the week. So really give me a break. I'm going to sit in this recliner. I'm going to watch some stupid television, some reality show or some mindless TV or a movie I've seen 20 times, but just not today, not today. Mm-hmm. Tomorrow I'll be recharged. I'm going to plug in, but I am charm free. <laughs> and that's even the thing that I've just even noticed amongst myself in probably this last year is I just feel like I'm on. You're on all the time. I watch, I I can't even imagine. And we just did the math the other day and like we're like 41, 42 weeks into the year and I have traveled 34 of those weeks. And it's just, but I've even gotten to the point this year where it used to be like you'd go all day at the events, you know, like take a state conference, you know, something like that. And then you still have to do all of the evening events. And I've started getting to the point where like, I go back to my room by eight o'clock and I don't apologize anymore because yeah. I, I, there is nothing left in my tank mm-hmm. and I just, I, it's been too much and I'm right. done. And we, at some point in time, we have to take care of ourselves first. And if somebody wants to, to, to judge me, cause I wasn't out partying at 2am, then you can go ahead and judge me. Cause I'm not your kind of person anyways. Yeah, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm exactly the same way. And you know, 
I was trying to think, somebody said something about the television in the room, you know, they keep it on for, you know, they're watching TV, you know, mm -hmm. as long as I've traveled, I don't recall, other than one time in Las Vegas where I had a TV in the mirror of the, like, mm -hmm. the bathroom, bathroom, because mm -hmm. I wanted to see it, I wanted to see it, but I don't watch TV. I don't have it on. It's not background. It's not light in the room. I just never turn it on because when I'm away from everybody, I just, I'm either on my computer or, you know, catching up on other things. I'm just done. I'm just done because it's like 7 a.m. to midnight and it's every day for, you know, four or five days. Sometimes you, you, you've, you've done it. Um, I, I just don't, I don't have anything left. I just want to, I just don't want to have anything else taking my attention. I just want to sit there and do nothing. Oh, I had that conversation with someone recently about turning on the TV in the hotel room. And I said, I don't know that I've ever in my yeah. entire life, other than it was the, it was the Peabody then is now the Grand Hyatt in Orlando had the TV in the bathroom mirror. I remember hey. specifically the first time I ever saw one of those. And I was like, what is this? I think I may have even taken a bath just to be like, oh, that's huh? kind of cool. But other than that, I don't know that I've ever turned on a TV in a hotel yeah. room. But I've had a few people I've roomed with, and they, as soon as they walk in the room, the first thing they do is find the remote and they hit it. And I'm like, what yeah. are you doing here? I know. I just thought it was kind of fun. I could shower and listen to the news, too. You know, because I don't have one of those fancy things that shows up in my mirror. I mean, I've only sold one house that had it, and we were so excited to see it. And the, the buyer was like, and they bought the house. And I was like, oh, I want to come over and take a shower at your house and listen to the news. I remember Weird. once selling a house. Um, down in the basement it had one of those two-way mirrors like you know you see in police interrogation rooms oh really? um, but it was in the bar area and behind the thing was the gun room um but yes it had one of those two-way mirrors so that you could it was just a mirror on the outside but on the inside you could see the people and that oh, was that's fun i've never yeah, seen one fun. of those that's yeah, cool i know and so now that we kind of like started talking a little bit of real estate mm -hmm. today our episode our guest is you and me we are the guest how exciting is that for everybody i'm telling you I, and I like i like both i like both of the guests equally <laughs> actually i think I you, like you, I like you more than i like myself but that's <laughs> See, fine Don't worry. same here same yeah. here I have we're going to talk just a little bit about some of our lessons some of our takeaways and some of our mistakes from our very long careers in real estate wow i'm still making them every I, yeah. you yes. know isn't it funny after all these years and you'll get yourself in the middle of something and it just happens mm -hmm. and then it blows up and you fix it and you get it all done and you're like, you've done this for too long. You're too smart. How did that happen? I mean, because I could sit there and critique mm -hmm. somebody else and go, here's what you did wrong. But until you're in the middle of it and you're thinking, oh, how did this happen? You know, so mm -hmm. I, I hear you. There's that. So still make mistakes. And the other thing is I still see things I've never seen before oh, yeah. in real estate. Every time I'm like, oh, I've seen everything there is to see <laughs> no. in real estate. The universe is like, ah, oh, but wait, yep. come here. There's yep. more. Yep, they okay, do. So they send it to that. you. Yeah. All right. So before we get into discussing all of our stories of real estate, this should, this should be good. This should be interesting as I try to rack my brain and remember. I think I've probably forgotten more things than I actually remember at, at this point. True. Uh, but before we do that, I have my favorite segment of the episode. We do it every episode, and that is Bobby's Book Bit. But yes. Because Alex is not here today, we don't have to sing the song. Oh, good, because I don't know the song. I mean, and, and trust me, you do not want to hear. You have Alex. You, you do not want to hear Jeff. But you also don't want to hear Bobby, who's still to this <laughs> day, as someone who recently had a, a birthday, uh, 
whose stepmom still says, Bobby, you're tone deaf. Please never sing. <laughs> we we had this conversation just at dinner with, with a group of agents and somebody said something about singing. I go, oh no. And you know, I said, you know how great you sing in the car? I mean, I have such range in the car. I mean, I can sing right along and harmonize with Elvis and then I can belt it out with Whitney Houston and I can hit that I will always love you. I mean, I, I have that, that amount of range. Yeah. And one day I was in the car. This was a long, long time ago because we were talking about cassette tapes and things like that. But I used to be an insurance adjuster and I'm singing along going to some meeting somewhere or something. I was on the road for a long time. I thought, man, you are such a good singer. You really are. So I thought, you know what? I want to hear myself. So I pulled out my dictaphone, popped in a cassette tape, and I sang, I, I swear, I thought it was Alan Jackson. I mean, I was way down yonder in the Chattahoochee. You know, I mean, I, you know, I, I had, there it was. I mean, I sang that whole song and then I took it, I took it out. I popped it in the cassette player of the car and played it. Oh my God, it was horrible. Okay. So I, I learned how tone deaf I am. Mm -hmm. And, but what I didn't do was re erase the tape. Oh, no. So I threw it back in my briefcase at the time. And I'm, no, it's not in my briefcase. Don't go going through my office, Amber, and trying to find something. Uh, but so I was working at the insurance company. And my my best friend from high school, we actually wound up working at the same company after college. And he goes, hey, do you have a tape? I need to take a statement from a, from a, a, a claimant. And I said, sure. So I just reached in and I grabbed him one. And he was on the other side of the wall. And all of a sudden, he... He, I think he was rewinding it and he checked it and there I am way down uh, and I jumped up and I grabbed the dictaphone he he grabbed it. we're actually fighting for it. I pull him out of his chair and he's he's much bigger more athletic and everything else, but I was not going to let that go and I pulled him out of his chair onto the floor and everybody's looking at us like what in the world are you two doing and of course as soon as I got it I was able to get the tape out and rip the rip the tape out so it snapped and oh it was there was a few scary moments there that I thought the entire office was going to hear a little personal concert by Jeff Carson. So there's never awesome. any. Yeah, there's no yeah. evidence around anymore. So, you know, and it's you really can't destroy digital media today. No. like you could destroy that tape back in the day. Uh, I know. Awesome. I kind of love it. It's awesome. Yeah. So All when right. we start talking, we'll go back to things like tapes yeah. and things like that. Uh, carbon we'll copy contracts. Yes. yes. We'll, we'll go back okay. in time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Take a trip back in time with travel with us today. <laughs> yeah. These poor, these poor new agents have no idea. And I'll stop like. you off earlier. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, Michael J. Fox in this episode, I'm taking the DeLorean and I'm going further back than you. How long have you been licensed? 34 years. I've been around 35 years. So we're, I've only been licensed 24, but my mom got in when I was that's eight. Right. I was doing contract, so. That's right. You grew up. That's right. You grew up in it. That's yeah. true. So we're going to have very similar stories uh, okay. in the way back machine. So there you go. Yeah. Don't let my youthful appearance confuse you on how old well, I am. I did. I did. Because I'm looking at us in the screen. I'm thinking, wow, there's no way. I, I'm I'm dropping her off really early. And I'm going to go back. All right. Wow. So I'm going to do my book bit. And then we're going to get in the way back. Gotcha. Machine, and we're going to. We're going to time and I'm, travel I'm, back. I'm excited to hear it because I, yeah, I don't I don't read. So I live vicariously through people. I mean, I can. I do right. read. I mean, I know yeah. how. You are literate. Yes, I am. <laughs> Despite how I come across sometimes. <laughs> you choose not to. It's fine. As I, I do enough reading for everyone, essentially. Good. So the one that I chose today, and it's because we're doing interviews with each other, it's called QBQ, the question before the question, essentially. And it's a book about um, teaching you how to ask better questions so that you can um, have better personal, personal accountability 
Um, instead of just asking questions and putting blame, it's at trying to learn how to ask questions so we can take accountability for the situations that we have in our life. And my favorite quote from the book by the author John G. Miller is, if we ask a better question, we get a better answer. And especially in real estate, so often we don't ask the better question. We answer, we ask a lot of yes, no questions instead of open-ended questions so we get the better answers. So Very true. There are three lessons from this book. The very first lesson um, is that rather than asking why, when, or who questions, we need to spend some more time asking what or how questions. Um, there's two types of questions. The wrong ones lead to inaction and pain, and they're called IQ or in, uh, incorrect questions. Those are questions like, why me that come up after something goes wrong. Um, in contrast, the question behind the question or QBQ is those um, initial um, negative thoughts we might have when a difficulty arises and how we get past those. So instead of why are we so short staffed, the question is what can I do to make the situation better or how can I work this differently in a way that might work? The second lesson from the book is when you focus on yourself by including I in the question, you develop the rare and valuable habit of accountability. And that's what a lot of us are lacking. Um, people these days seem to be all about blaming everyone but themselves for their problems. We see it all over Facebook all the oh. time. Why me? Why did this happen? Why whatever? As opposed to understanding that they do have some buy-in to the situation essentially that they're in. You know, one of the things that I was always taught is that if you're in a car accident and someone rear-ended you, it's very easy to say, it's not my fault, not they rear-ended me. Right. However, had you left your house one minute earlier or one minute later, you wouldn't have been in that place at that moment. So therefore you do have some responsibility in the situation, even if you couldn't have avoided it, as we like to say. Many feel entitled to benefits without any willingness to become proactive and accountable for improving their situation. So don't be like the rest of the world. Instead of blaming everything else for your problems, maintain accountability by asking questions with I in them. Doing so helps you take ownership over aspects of your life that you feel like you could never improve. By asking questions with I in them, we shift the focus from what we can't improve to what we can improve and what we can have um, a say or a difference in. And then finally, the third lesson is to master the question before the question, ask questions that focus on action. Even though we may initially fear the risk of taking actions, not taking action is a greater risk. Uh, there's a second quote in the book that I really liked, and it's action, even when it leads to mistakes, brings learning and growth. In action brings stagnation and atrophy. And basically, we were still talking about that. Yeah. We've both been licensed for most of our lives, basically, Decades. at this point. Yeah. And we still make mistakes, but the mistakes help us move forward. And so when we ask questions that involve action, we have the possibility to move forward and to do something different. So that's my book review of QBQ, the question before the question. So. That is great. That is great. And, you know, you, you talk about, you see it play out. You see how everybody wants to play, woe is me. And, you know, and, and 
whining is is my thing and but then they do it in a public setting it's one mm -hmm. thing before we had social media but then we realized how big a whiner some of our friends can be and and everybody puts it out there in front of everybody and you see it and you and i i read so many things i'm thinking oh no 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 oh oh i can't unsee that mm -hmm. you know those kinds of things and but very true all true yeah. Good yeah. stuff. Even some stuff from some of our members sometime. You're like, oh, don't be putting that out on social media. Please stop. Please stop. You yes. know, I had a meeting one time. Somebody brought up something the evening before a, a, an advocacy meeting, mm -hmm. and it was involving an agent, and it was a, about a platform and about a fee that was charged and so on and so forth, and everybody started chiming in. And then I started to hear the, well, we should just boycott their their listings and all these all these uh, terrible words in our, our business that you cannot use mm -hmm. going on and on. And I don't think that's legal and uh, all these. So I, I, I screenshotted it. I sent it to legal counsel, and I said, just want to find out if this is true, blah, blah, blah. Well, the next morning I had a, I had a meeting and four or five of the 40 or 50 that were chiming in were in that meeting. And so I started, I said, so something interesting came up last night and I started to tell the story about what was going on. And it was funny. I looked across the table and there were about 35 people and I saw some eyes get really big. Like, and I heard, I heard someone whisper, he's watching us. I go, no, 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 I'm not watching you. I mean, I stumble across things, but I'm, I'm trying to protect you a little right. bit because of some of the things that were, that people are saying, yeah. I said, you know, great attorneys can snoop around and find those things and get, mm -hmm. gets you guys in trouble. So yeah. yes, first of all, it is legal. It's been disclosed up front. And, you know, I went through the whole thing. And of course, then as soon as the meeting was over, you know, the, the couple of them came up and go, Oh, I can't believe it. Did I see anything bad? Did you, did you recall? I go, no, 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 you actually were fine, but yeah. you need to don't get sucked into that right. when it's out there. Yeah. And it, and that's what so often we're protecting them from themselves. They don't even yeah. know that they're, that these Facebook groups out here, not talking about any of the Kansas city real estate Facebook right. groups, but especially like the bigger national ones, right. you just see the stuff these people are getting themselves into. And you're like, this is not the place to be asking these questions and to right. be doing that. So and it's funny. You have the same hand gestures that I do. I'm putting my oh, hands over my face and, and things like that. Like, no, no. <laughs> yeah. I can't look I can't like just look, because you're I'm looking. Yeah. Because you close your eyes or you cover the cover them doesn't mean you're not looking at it. <laughs> It's like a train wreck. I can't look away. I got to see. Oh, that's where we're at. So. When I was little, I used to watch this show. It was a daytime soap opera, but it was a uh, kind of a gothic one called Dark Shadows. Oh. And so my sister and my cousin always had to take naps, but I was a little older and didn't have to take naps. And it was on like at three o'clock in the afternoon. I would watch it. Well, then when it would get to a scary part, I would run around the corner by my aunt's refrigerator and I would peek around the corner to watch it because it would spook me. So I guess if I was just peeking at it, it didn't scare me as much as if I was sitting there in the chair that was five feet away but peeking around that corner from the refrigerator looking at you know i'm like is it over aunt shirley is it over <laughs> like you i can't security that you could get away at some point so exactly i All tried right, watching it in her basement one this. time oh um but we kind of already got into this just a little bit yes. um but talk to me um you know you said you've been in, in the industry for 34 years why did you decide to get into real estate you know, I kind of backed into it. It was one of those things where I, I think I've always had an interest in houses for one. Mm -hmm. I mean, as a child, I built Lincoln log houses and then, and I would always try to, you know, I would make the ones that they had the instructions for and things, but then I would always try to make my own different ones. And then I got Legos and the more windows I got and shutters I got and roofing pieces I got, the more 
houses I would build. I would tear them down and build new ones. And I always had to have a garage because I liked a garage and things like that. And even when I had building blocks and I played with my matchbox cars, I always built two car garages and I always had my lime green station wagon uh, in one side and I had my Mercedes. Uh, and because I was like, okay, there's my wife's car. There's my car, you know, kind of thing. And it was always a lime green station wagon with a dog hanging out the back of it. But so I was always kind of playing with houses. And then, you know, when I was in college, I, well, first of all, I left college, did junior college thing, and then decided I was going to work and then worked a job that I liked, but, and I had some great people I work with, but, you know, it just, it was kind of a stagnant thing. Well, we saw a, 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 a career night for real estate. So, it, so like five of us, five of us said, let's, let's go to that. Let's, you know, I think we could sell real estate. So we go and we're, and we're listening to, and I, I can still recall the agent that, that, that did it. And, and we're all sitting there and we're just thinking, you know, this is, oh, this is so exciting. You know, we're, this is, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. And she's going through the whole thing and she's telling us, you know, all, all about it and how great it is. And, and then somebody asked about compensation and how you get paid. Well, you get paid, you know, how, there's commissions and I'm like, well, I mean, how do you get those? Well, you only get paid when you sell something. And like, so you don't get paid every two weeks. And, and she, oh, no, no, you only sell. So you have to make that money last. And, and this, and I, we all looked at each other at the same time and go, do you guys want Godfathers or Minsky's? It's time to go. I mean, we're out. So that, it kind of went away, kept, kept that job for a little bit. And then one day I decided, you know what, I'm never going to do anything more if I don't get my degree out of the way. So I quit working full time. I went away to college to finish up. And while I was in college, I took a couple of real estate courses because uh, I was a business major as electives. And I just enjoyed them. I liked them and came back home, got the insurance company job that I think I was talking about to you before we went, before we went on the air. And again, I was sitting there one day and I was just thinking, oh, I don't like this. I don't enjoy this. And my future brother and sister-in-law at the time were looking at a new home and a new development in, in our area. And so I went out with them with my, we weren't engaged at the time, but my wife now, and we went out there and we pulled it in this brand new subdivision in Wyandotte County. We didn't build a lot of new homes, you know, 35 mm -hmm. years ago. And this was a, a more upscale neighborhood. And I mean, Wyandotte County hadn't seen those kind of homes built for a long, long time. And we pulled in and it was like a, a carnival. The streets were lined with cars on both sides. of. The, there was nothing, just clowns and balloons are the only thing that we were missing. And I, I remember thinking, wow, what are they building here? Because mm -hmm. they're only maybe... 10 houses going up through this entire neighborhood and there were two model homes and we got out and we went, well, the gentleman that was the developer was from my small town and he wasn't from there, but he lived there a long time. And, you know, small town, everybody kind of knows everybody. Even if you don't know them, you know, of them, you know who they are. And my brother, future brother and sister-in-law were walking in and they had already been out there one other time and they were showing us the house. And he's like, Hey, I know you. And, and we just kind of had a little, some little pleasantries. Cause that was, like I said, we didn't really know each other. We just knew who each other was. So long story short, my stories are always long and I never make them short, but anyway, um, we went out to dinner with them like the, a few days later after they had their meeting with the developer and the builder and that kind of thing. And he's, you know, I was, I was talking to him and he goes, you know, he said he re remembered you and what a go-getter you were. And he remembered, I worked at Kmart for 11 years. I mean, that, matter of fact, that's where I met my wife. I mean, I, I'm serious that I always say best blue light special ever, you know, light special. I, I'm serious. Yeah. I mean, I, I was, I was actually captain blue light. I had, 
I had blue and white satin shorts and tights, and I used to do all the blue light special announcements. But anyway, I'd worked at, he goes, you know, that guy's been up at Kmart for years. So I worked there all through high school and college. And then after college, when I had that job I hated, I still kept my part-time job because I really enjoyed working there. And he goes, you know, that's the kind of guy I'd like to have come work for me because it was just, he was a one-man shop. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know, I've always kind of thought about it. It's like, well, you got to go out and talk to him. Went out and talked to him. And he thought he'd never see me again. He goes, all right, well, go get your license. And then come back and talk to me. He didn't tell me where to go, how to do it, or anything like that. And you and you know, you know, back then, I mean, I I think I took all my class to the Kansas Association of Realtors, and and uh, then you took the test, and you had to wait three weeks to get the response back. It came back in the mail, you know, pass or fail. Mm-hmm. So you're you're nervous the whole. I took a day off from work, did the practice thing, and I mean, I thought I was really ready and and all that, and I mean, I I obviously passed, but. Um, that's just kind of what led to it. It just, I kind of backed into it and I thought I'll just do it part-time. And then what happened was uh, I was still working at the insurance company and I was not liking it. And then we had a new, he, he got, wound up getting another new home subdivision. And he said, Jeff, it's now or never. I got to have you full-time or I got to hire somebody else. You can stay part-time, no problem, but I got to have you full-time. And I just, talked to my best friend who, like I said, worked with me before or was still working at the same company, made the decision to do it. And I thought, oh, you know what, I'll do it until, you know, I have to get a real job till I start a family and that kind of thing. And here we are 34 years later. Yeah. And you've even doubled down by, you know, being a realtor, working for the association, being local president, being state president. You just went all, you went all, all I think that's what happened. I, I did, I did local then I did state and then I came back and, and was MLS and then actually it was the it was at the end of my MLS year as president that that our my my predecessor left and I stepped in I think I'm still a temp I, I really think I'm still a temporary employee and have been one now for it'll be 13 years in December but uh I, I've had a great ride and it's funny <laughs> it's funny when you talk about it and the people you meet along the way and people at KCRR, you know, your realtor family. I'm lucky. I, I we're, we are really lucky to do what we do. Uh, it's a relationship business. And I think as I get older and that, you know, I start thinking about trailing off and those kinds of things that I just, you know, those, I remember somebody, uh, I was at a meeting of several weeks back and somebody wanted to make sure I made it home safely and this and that. And yeah, you know, congrats to you on an award and blah, blah, blah. I am so lucky to have you guys in my life. And, you know, they wrote back a nice response and that's why I get so emotional about it sometimes. That's what, you know, for me, and I love hearing people that didn't grow up in the industry. You know, I grew up, my mom was a single parent. I was an only child. I had no choice, but to be ingrained in real estate, from the time my mom got into real estate. And I actually was mathing while you were talking because I said 35. It's actually because I recently had a birthday. It's actually 37 years that I've been in real estate, but I've been licensed 27 years, literally wow. as of yesterday. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And so I, I didn't really, I mean, I had a choice. I tried to leave the association or try to leave the industry several times and I got pulled back. And at, at certain times when I was younger, I kind of was resentful that this is, you know, I grew up in real estate. I don't want to be real estate. Right. And now I am so very, very thankful that this is the industry that I am a part of. And for me, the thing about the industry that has meant so much to me and what has given me so much importance in my life has been through the work in the association. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And bonding with like-minded people like yourself 
Um, you know, I, I love top producers and I love their hustle and I love their game. And I love my, my mom was number one producer in our community for over 20 years. Yep. And yet it's the lifeblood for me is the other side of things that helps support what I do in real estate um, and has just given me so much. Oh, so. I completely agree. And that's why when I, when I get to look at I get to do what I love, which is to sell homes to mm -hmm. people. And some of my best friends have become, you know, we're customers and, and that kind of thing. And then I have this other outlet that you and I both have, mm -hmm. and it's so rewarding too. I mean, it's just like, I, I, I almost, I almost feel like I have too much. Yeah. You know, sometimes mm -hmm. you'll meet people and you'll hear their journey and their struggles. And then you, you leave them and you think, I feel guilty because I have so much and, yeah. you know, and it's not, it's not things, mm -hmm. but it's like the relationships and this, you know, joy. I remember I had a doctor's appointment a week, two weeks ago, whenever it was. And, you know, they always ask you those questions. You, do you have depression or, you know, these kinds of things? I go, I go, no, first of all, I don't have time. And yes, I do have a, I have a, I have a source of joy in my life. And they laugh because that's one of the questions they asked. They hadn't got to that yet, but I had other doctor's appointments. So I knew what it was. And, but I do, I just, yeah, I, I look everywhere I look. I have, you know, I was watching you. I don't know. I'm so emotional today, but I was I watching you earlier. It. I was watching you earlier and you have certain expressions and they remind me of your son because I, you just posted some pictures of him and was his birthday or something? Yeah, just, it was his birthday, yeah. Yeah, well, just a few days ago, right? Uh -huh. Okay, and I'm looking at those pictures and I'm, I, but I, I was looking at them, but the, I'm watching you. I'm like, oh my God, I see Alex in the, I, I see you in the, yeah. on that screen, there, there's Alex. Oh, he is 100% my mini me and he is 100% my dad. Like I'm literally raising my dad because you uh -huh. put the two of them together and the, they look exactly the same. Um, Jeff, talk about when you got into real estate and as your real estate uh, career has transformed over the years, talk to me about who your mentor or mentors were and what did you learn from them? You know, I, I would have to say it was my my first broker, Jim Denham, mm -hmm. and uh, because I, I just followed him along. I was like a little puppy dog. He, he did, you know, he was old school. He, we didn't have training and those kind of, he had an independent brokerage and, you know, that kind of thing. I just followed him around. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, I went to every appointment when he had build job meetings in the model home. I just sat over there at the other desk. And I just listened mm -hmm. and I listened to the answers to the questions that came up. And some of them were really silly questions from customers and, and some of them you know but that's I that's how I learned and I mean I didn't sit there and take notes but I just recalled all of those things and um but then like I said he was old school and then when I started to get involved in our association which was the wind-out association after a couple of years because I felt like I needed to make some money first before mm -hmm. I started doing volunteer work I I met Daryl Stiles and Daryl, uh, while they didn't have a presence in Wyandotte County, they had agents that worked here. And so he always was very supportive of Wyandotte County. And so I met him through meetings and, and he was just always so great. But whenever I had questions, uh, when it came to just different things that came up in real estate, I, I tend to, I reached out to Daryl and I always felt bad that I didn't work for Daryl because I, I felt like he just helped me so much along the way. And, and we, we have a great relationship today. We, you know, we've, we've gotten together for lunch. We, him and his wife and my wife and Diane uh, Ruggiero and her husband, Jim, we did a, we did a cruise on their boat together and we just had the best time. But Daryl Styles was, and, but, and after Daryl, I would just say there's so many others. I mean, mm -hmm. there's Susan Bowers, you know, we mm -hmm. met years ago and, and we're in leadership at, at the MLS together. And I remember when I 
when we were the John after Wyandotte County merged with Johnson County, I remember I got I got nominated for uh, first vice president treasurer. I think we were treasurer back then. I don't know if it was secretary or not, but the other person that was running was Susan Bowers. And well, Susan wasn't running, but she was nominated. Well, and Susan had already been president, mm-hmm. but I didn't know how it worked. I just thought, oh well, I guess you can be president more than once, or, or maybe you, maybe she just wants to be secretary or treasurer. Maybe nobody else was going to do it. And I remember leaving the room so they could vote, and I was like, I'm up against the juggernaut of Susan Bowers, and she goes you don't get it, honey. You're going to win. We just have to have an election. I'm just the name that's, we have to have two names. You're going to be the, the first vice. I go, I am? I'm like, I, and I, I thought, I kind of like to say I beat Susan Bowers in that election, but I really didn't. I mean, it was, she was just, okay, I'll do it, you know, kind of thing. But, uh, but I, you know what? I think, I think I take this whole podcast up with names, uh, but what about you? Yeah. I mean, you, again, your journey was different because you had your mom. You had my mom. And so that was for me, I think that was that she was that example of both how to be incredibly successful in real estate and how to really grow an amazing business. I mean, I was growing up, like literally I had business cards at one point in time that just said Nancy's daughter. Cause that's how everybody <laughs> knew me. I'm, you're Nancy's daughter. Just like, yeah. you know. It's, and now I'm Alex's mom. Like I'll never have my own identity and I'm cool with that. And yet I also saw from watching her burn the candle at both ends, how to also not do real estate. So sure. in a lot of ways, she was a great, wonderful mentor for me on both ends of the spectrum. But, you know, almost all of my mentors growing up were all um, St. Joe people. And so many of them are still here today. Um, you know, my son's birthday was a couple of days ago. Mine was yesterday. Oh, happy and- birthday, belated birthday was just... <laughs> Thank you. I'm feeling a little old. That's okay. Um, And yet when I was scrolling through my Facebook wall of some of these people who wish me happy birthday, they're people I've known in real estate since I was eight years old. I mean, and right now, one of my employees that I work with is Steve Snook, who was president of St. Job and president of Missouri, an amazing human being. And I've known Steve since I was eight years old. Like we, I have so many of these people that you all have been in my life, my entire life and have shaped me. And now I'm going to get emotional, but you guys have shaped me to be the human being that I am. And I'm so very, very grateful for all of these people who are like a village of parents, essentially who helped me become an amazing human being. And that's one of my keynotes. What I, I, one of the, my points that I talk about is it takes a village but it doesn't take a village to raise a child. It takes a village to raise a human being. Uh And we all have to have that village. And we need both the village that pours into us and the village we're pouring into because somebody else also needs us. And sometimes they're not the same village. And so I am incredibly grateful. I mean, I remember, you know, um, when my mom, when my, when we lost my mom to suicide, who was the realtor, um, I, I, I questioned, how do I stay in an industry that has taken so very much from me? Because essentially real estate ate her up, spit her out. Right. And what I discovered, it took me a couple of years to discover this, but what I discovered during that time of reflection, as I tried to figure out what I, my next steps were going to be was I'm in an industry that has given so very, very much to me. And I wouldn't be the human being that I am if I had not had all these experiences that led up to it. And as tragic as her story was, it doesn't have to be my story. And how exactly. can we write that story differently for other people in this industry. And that's what drives me every single day. And I love, I love what I get to do. And I know you love what you get to do. Um, One of the things you said when you were giving your answer is you said you were, when you were with your first broker, you watched and you listened. 
And I think that is a skill that has been forgotten in this industry, especially amongst brand new agents, is just sitting with someone and watching them listen to them, hear the conversations they're having, hear the words that they're using, and just see what that day in and day out looks like. Is because they all, everybody thinks they can just watch a YouTube video and they can just go out and right. know everything there is to know about this industry when there's so much to be learned just by watching and listening and doing nothing. You, even you said you didn't take notes. You just yeah. absorbed it. That's what I said. Um, the word was absorbed it. Yeah. Yeah. You absorbed what was going on as opposed to, oh, let's scribble down. We're running close to the I end would have of time that we have. I would have lost those notes. If I would have wrote them down, I would have lost them. So yeah, that's, why, gone, that's why I don't write them down. I lose somewhere. everything. Yes. Um, but we're, we're running close to the end of time. Oh, and gosh. so we had other things Already. we could have talked about today. But one of the things I want to talk about, because I, I do find this absolutely fascinating for those of us that have been around for forever. Let's talk about some of the ways that we used to do real estate <laughs> back 34, 35, 37 years ago. What is one of your favorite memories from something you used to do back then that my God, somebody brand new would just laugh their face off that you do now? Well, again, we were a small broker. We were, we're in independence. We didn't have a fax machine. So fax but, machines. Yeah, I, I know. First of all, half the listeners are going to say, what is that? And, uh, but my broker owned a print shop in Bonner Springs, which was 12 oh. miles away. Mm -hmm. So agents would have to fax it to Bonner and then I would have to drive to Bonner to get it. And then I would come back to the subdivision office and, you know, put, putting everything together and things. Mm -hmm. like. And then I would realize we didn't get three pages, you know, or they had stuck together or something. So I'd have to call the agent back and they'd have to, and guess what? I'm back heading to Bonner mm -hmm. to get one. And so I remember when we got one at the office, I just thought we were so uptown. And then we got a plain, because it was all thermal fax. Mm -hmm. So then we had yeah. to run oh. and copy the pages. And then, uh, but we got a plain, we got a plain paper one. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh my God, once again, we're uptown. Yeah. And I remember one day my broker coming and says, we're not going to be doing, uh, but this was such a basic one. It, it only, it wouldn't condense a, an eight and a half, eight, uh, legal size down to mm -hmm. eight and a half by 11. So mm -hmm. we had the faxes had to be loaded with legal size paper all the time. Otherwise, every page of the contract would be two pages of the contract. It was a total mess. And so we had that. That was the, for me, one of the things I just took me forever to get. I mean, plus, we didn't have yeah. cell phones. We all carried pagers. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and we were uptown at our office when we, we actually started hiring some agents our pager company had a little box that was like a little typewriter box, like a tele, uh, teletype. I think, I don't even know what pe people probably won't have any idea what a teletype is, but it was a little keyboard and we could actually get a typed message. We yeah. didn't call them text messages. We no. just got a we got a message on our, but, but our secretary could say, Jeff, call Bobby Howe, you know, at such and such and her number. And we thought, cause nobody else in town had that, oh. or they could say, you know, Bobby Howe's here at the office come by. I didn't have to get a page, call the office and find out Bobby's in the office. So I, she could just send that to me. So now the fact that it's on your phone and, and mm -hmm. four-year-olds are using it and have them. And it's just amazing that, you know, yeah. I didn't, and I have some pictures. I ran across a picture uh, just recently of me at a golf tournament and it was, would have been early nineties. And there's my pic, there's my pager hanging on my, on my, my belt. So. <laughs> well, you know, I, people do not realize how easy and i say easy because it's not easy to sell real estate but easy they have it in this industry because i mean i remember back to you got 
you got an MLS book once huh? a month with the houses. And once a week, you got a hot sheet that was just a, a listing of the words on a piece of paper up until the then you got the book the next month. Everything was always, you know, out of date. That we didn't have any internet to go to to look up houses. So we had what was called a land disc machine and you could cross-reference the thing and then you could get this really grainy black and white photo of a house that printed out on thermal paper. Yep. And then yeah. I remember we eventually did get the MLS on a computer, but we had the old dot matrix printer that mm -hmm. would be all the connected pages. Then you had to tear off the yep, little edges apart, on it. Pull the ends off. <laughs> yeah. But my favorite memory was before we had a color copier at our office and we wanted to do colored flyers at listings is you would go and you would get your, you know, take the photograph of the house. You'd go to the one hour photo. Uh -huh. You'd get the one photo you liked. Then you'd get 50 color copies made of it. You'd make the black and white uh, copy of the flyer itself. And then you'd hot glue stick the photo onto the piece of paper. And then your business card, because you yeah. wanted the business card in color too. And so then you also yeah. glue stick to that. And then you had this big, huge stack of flyers. That's how you got a color flyer back yeah. in the day. And that, that was it. Our photo, people don't even understand about developing film right now. What do you mean it's not just on my phone? Oh, you have, to, you have to even to buy film. You got to go kind of locate it and everything else it's crazy yeah. but you know my first car phone it had a cord on it oh, an yes. antenna on the back when when she, now you could make a phone call from anywhere you could be in a cave yeah. you know three miles down and that thing was so powerful it would you know i loved i i put it in five different cars i remember the guy that bought my the last car that it was in before i went to my star tac or my big brick phone or whatever he thought that was the coolest thing ever i paid 500 dollars for it and it was 27 cents a minute to talk on that phone uh-huh. Yeah. I still remember our bag phone we had in our uh -huh. Astro van. That takes yep. us back Astro. to a day. Astro <laughs> van. All right, Jeff, thank you so much for being here with us today. It's been amazing having you as a guest. And if, if I were a guessing person, this is not the last time you'll be a guest and a co-host with us. So well, thank, thank you. you I, this this was fun. Sorry to get so emotional, but you know, it's a, it's a, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at my screen and I just see fun, fun people. And mm -hmm. yeah, that I like to be with. Yay. So thanks awesome. for having me. Yay, thanks, Jeff. All right, take care, everybody. Bye.